And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. Well, <clears throat> we got a bunch of things to talk about today. Today's May 9th, 129th day of the year. 236 days remain to the year's over with. 328, Athanasius is elected Patriarch of Alexandria. 1009, Lombard Revolt. Lombard forces led by Melus revolt in Barry against the Byzantine Catapanate of Italy. 1386, England and Portugal formally ratify their alliance with the signing of the Treaty of Windsor. It's the oldest diplomatic alliance in the world, which is still in force. 1450, Abd al-Atif, the Timurid monarch, is assassinated. 1540, Hernando de Alarcón sets sail on an expedition to the Gulf of California. 1662, the figure who would later become Mr. Punch in the puppet show makes his first recorded appearance in England. 1671, Thomas Blood, described as a, disguised as a, a uh, clergyman, attempts to steal England's crown jewels from the town of London. 1726, five men arrested during a raid on Mother Clapp's Molly House in London are executed at Tyburn. Now, for those that aren't familiar with the term Molly House, it was a meeting place for homosexual men. 1864, Second Swell War. Danish Navy defeats the Austrian and Prussian fleets in the Battle of Ligavon. 1865, Bedford Bedford Forest surrenders his forces at Gainesville, Georgia. Uh, excuse me, Gainesville, Alabama. He was uh, one of the youngest generals, known for saying, he who gets there first is with the most that usually wins. 1865. President Andrew Johnson issues a proclamation ending belligerent rights of the rebels and enjoining foreign nations to intern or expel Confederate ships. He was after a Confederate raider that had just played, raised holy hell with the Union shipping. 1873, the Vienna Stock Exchange crashes. It heralds the Long Depression. 1877, Mihail. Kalganasiniu reads in the Chamber of Deputies Declaration of Independence of Romania. The date will become recognized as the Independence Day of Romania. 1901, Australia opens its first national parliament in Melbourne. 1915, World War I, Second Battle of Artois between German and French forces. 1918, World War I, Germany repeals Britain's second, uh, excuse me, repels. Britain's second attempt to blockade the port of Austin in Belgium. I can't read my own handwriting. 1920, Polish and Soviet War. Polish Army under General Edward Regis Smigley celebrates its capture of Kiev with a victory parade. 1926, Admiral Richard E. Byrd and Floyd Bennett claimed to have flown over the North Pole. Later discovery of Byrd's diary does cast some doubt on the, that particular claim. 1927, the Old Parliament House in Canberra, Australia, officially opens. 1936, Italy formally annexes Ethiopia before taking the capital Addis Ababa on May 5th. 1941, 
World War II, German submarine U-110 is captured by the Royal Navy. On board that sub is the latest Enigma machine, which Allied cryptographers used to break coded German messages. 1942, the Holocaust in Ukraine. The SS executes 588 Jewish, Jewish residents in the Podolian town of Zinkiv. Uh, the Zolo ghetto in Belarus is destroyed and all its inhabitants executed or deported. 1946, King Victor Emmanuel III of Italy abdicates and is succeeded by Umberto II. 1948, Czechoslovakia's 9th of May Constitution comes into effect. 1950, Robert Schumann presents the Schumann Declaration, considered by some to be the beginning of the creation of what's now the European Union. 1955, Cold War, West Germany joins NATO. 1960, Food and Drug Administration announces over approved birth control as an additional indication for Cyril's Innovid making Innovid the world's first approved oral contraceptive pill. 1969, Carlos Lamarca leads the first urban guerrilla action against the military dictatorship of Brazil in Sao Paulo. They robbed two banks. 1974, Watergate scandal. House, U.S. House Committee on the Judiciary opens formal public impeachment hearings against President Richard Nixon. 1979, Iranian Jewish businessman Habib Elganian is executed by firing squad in Tehran, prompting the mass exodus of the once 100,000 strong Jewish community of Iran. 1980. In Florida, Liberian Flater MV Summit Venture collides with the Sunshine Skyway Bridge over Tampa Bay, making a 1,400 foot section of the southbound span collapse. 35 people and 6 cars and a Greyhound bus fall 150 feet into the water and everybody dies. Well, that was a time when air brakes would have been very useful. 1980, in uh, Norco, in California, five mass gunmen hold security Pacific Bank leading to a violent shootout in one of the largest pursuits in California history. Two of the gunmen and one police officer are killed, and 35 police and civilian vehicles are destroyed in the chase. Now, if that happened today, if they were caught, they might be given probation. Or maybe stand in the corner. Because California does not enforce criminal laws anymore. 1987, LOT Flight 5055 um, crashes after takeoff in Warsaw, Poland killing all 183 people on board. 1988, the new Parliament House in Canberra officially opens on this date. 1992, medium forces capture Shusha, marking a major turning point in the first Nagorno-Karabakh War. Also in 92, Western Mine disaster kills 26. Uh, in Nova Scotia, 2001 in Ghana, 129 football fans died in what became known as the Accra Sports Stadium disaster. These deaths are caused by a stampede, which actually was called by the, caused by the firing of tear gas by police personnel at the stadium. It followed a controversial decision by the referee. 
2002, the 38-day standoff in the church in the Nativity in Bethlehem comes to an end when the Palestinians inside agree to have 13 suspected terrorists, among them deported to several different countries. 2018, historic defeat of Barisan Nasional, the governing coalition of Malaysia since the country's independence in 1957, uh, took place in the 2018 Malaysian general election. 2020, the COVID-19 recession caused the U.S. unemployment rate to hit 14.9%, the worst rate since the Great Depression. 2022, Russia-Ukrainian war. Joe Biden signs a 2022 Lend Lease Act into law, rebooted World War II-era policy expediting American equipment to Ukraine and other Eastern European countries. He would have sent them all the plumbing in the White House if they'd asked for it. All right. Um, holidays and observances. This is Alphabet Magnet Day. You find those on the front of most refrigerators. National Teachers Day, Guernsey Liberation Day, Hooray for Buttons Day, Lag Bioma. It's an important Jewish holiday, celebrates life and happiness. National Butterscotch Brownie Day, National Christina Day. If you know any Christinas, give them a hug. National All Sock Memorial Day. We honor all the socks that have vanished into dryers around the the country. National Moscato Day. National Sleepover Day. Russian Victory Day. Day that they're going to honor 8 million Russians who died uh, giving Russia its victory during World War II. And tear the tags off the mattress day. It's a strange celebration. If you read the tags, it says... uh, don't tear off under penalty of law. And I know a lot of folks that uh, if they see you tear it off, I have a fit thinking that the FBI is going to show up. Now, frankly, they have nothing better to do because they don't enforce the law anymore. Nothing that might put their literally livered asses in danger. All right. We have been talking about uh, UFOs <coughs> in the 1800s. Now, most people think the UFO mystery, if you will, began uh, 1947. Of course, there were, the, there were most people familiar with the Foo Fighters of World War II. But as far back in history as I've gone, I have found reports of strange things in the sky. Now, we're going to start this particular show talking about April 10th, 1875 in Brownsville, Missouri. A lot of mysterious orbs and a rectangular UFO uh, was seen in Missouri, the Show Me State. Now, there is a segment of UFO research that deals with the appearance of mysterious orbs of light that usually hover near the ground and involve groups of relatively small oval balls of light. Although not really believed by most people to be aerial craft, such as UFOs are thought to be, these small hovering orbs of light are an interesting phenomenon that bears closer study, of course. Sometimes they appear prior to or during the sighting of a UFO and 
It's suspected they might be a drone or unmanned aerial probe of some kind. Skeptics try to explain these apparitions away as ball lightning or other naturally occurring atmospheric events. But not everybody is, is certain about that, especially when uh, a large UFO is also seen in the area. We're going to talk about um, what happened on that particular night in 1875. It seems the story had its beginnings in Brownsville, Missouri. A little community now known as Sweet Springs. It actually began at the Central Hotel. April 10, 1875, a guest of the hotel saw something very strange from his window. It was 11.30 p.m. Newspaper article from the incident begins uh, about the incident began by stating Wednesday last was a mild and summer-like day, and old weather prognosticators predicted the coming of rain. But we're not going to talk about rain, but of the sights that were seen on that night by a number of citizens. And then the article goes on to talk about strange lights that awakened one of the guests. Looks <clears throat> at his window. Outside, he saw balls of light from the size of an egg to that of a man's head and changing from a white to that of a reddish glare. They were floating about in the air as though they were animate objects. First, there were only a few, but eventually their number increased to about 50, hovering about 20 or 30 feet off the ground. They moved around like apples on disturbed water, then like they were engaged in a waltz and at times falling into ranks like soldiers marching to and fro. The balls of light were covering a convening over an old field at the east end of town. And as the witnesses watched the bizarre sight, a, a cloud suddenly came in from the west, which was about the size of a door. It was smoke color. It was about this time this somewhat ordinary uh, mysterious orb sighting transformed into an actual UFO sighting. It was the sudden appearance of a Grayish rectangular UFO shrouded in the cloud. No, they, nobody was really certain of the exact size of the UFO. It's large enough to elicit wonder and have it compared to a cloud. The um, described shape, which is out of a coffin, suggests that the object was like an oblong box having length and breadth and depth. Oblong-shaped UFOs are more commonly referred to as rectangular. They're quite common. Uh, quite common types that have been observed over the years. Witnesses stated the strange cloud-like UFO looked like a black coffin hovering over the same field where the mysterious orbs of light had been seen. It came to a stop over the field, hovered about 40, 50 feet over the ground. The orbs of light began to dance around it in a circular manner till their motion finally came to a halt. And according to the descriptions and the news reporting, <coughs> a truly remarkable thing happened next. The rectangular UFO opened a hatch, and all the smaller worms of light flew inside. According to the newspaper account, a lid seemed to rise from the coffin, and with slow movements, the lights entered the, the coffin and were lost to view. And this coffin-like object was then... Uh, seen to head to the south. Now, given this description, it becomes even more likely the smaller worms of light were drones or probes sent out into the surrounding environment to collect data on the area. Even as 
today. We use drones to take photos and collect data. These glowing orbs sound like they uh, perform the same function for whoever or whatever the occupants of the uh, UFO might have been. Now, because the UFO left the town toward the south, flying over the town cemetery when it seemed to go out of view, the observers were left with the impression the UFO had somehow landed in the graveyard. Although very likely this was simply their mistaken belief, spurred on by their fear, and since it's something they experienced um, that was totally unexplained, possibly supernatural, it's more and more plausible the UFO flew over the cemetery and kept right on going. Um, this newspaper article that I've been talking about, published in the Sedalia, Missouri Democrat, April 14, 1875, stated that the coffin-like object was in uh, wafted southward and on reaching the graveyard settled down and was seen no more. A great number of the citizens witnessed that night's phenomena, which would be very memorable. Interestingly, the editor of the Sedalia Democrat titled the article Ignis Fatus, which is Latin for foolish fire, or another term for will-o'-the-wisp. It's defined as a light that sometimes appears in the night over marshy ground and is sometimes attributable to the combustion of gas from decomposing uh, organic matter. This was an obvious attempt to explain away something that was clearly beyond the norm. Now, the Sedalia newspaper gives the original source of the article as the Brownsville, Missouri Banner. Uh, dated April 10, 1875. It says the town of Brownsville, Missouri no longer exists and all copies of its new pa newspaper appear to be irretrievably lost. The only article that seems to be in existence is the one found in the Sedalia Democrat. Now, this is another of the strange UFO sightings of the 19th century. And although the main witnesses struggled to put what he saw into the words and terminology with which he was familiar, you know, it's clear he did a passively uh, credible job. In result of his efforts is an amazing tale of close contact with free-floating alien probes that were dispatched to collect data from among the human community of Brownsville. You have to ask yourself, what was the purpose? Okay, let's go to Sheridan, Pennsylvania. January 12, 1876. Now, this next story is quite often referred to as a ghost story. It appears to be actually uh, an encounter with an otherworldly humanoid figure who was dressed in uh, some kind of high-tech suit who glided instead of walked and who carried a powerful handheld light source. It happened in early January of 1876 in the woods near Sheridan, Pennsylvania. Many newspapers carried reports of this encounter, including the Reading Pennsylvania Eagle, the St. Louis, Missouri Globe Democrat, and the Cincinnati, Ohio Daily Star. Now, the article began by explaining the strange encounters experienced by um, an individual who wasn't before this a believer in ghosts or hobgoblins and but was in fact a man of strong and steady nerve. This particular encounter with what you might refer to as a bizarre humanoid completely unnerved the gentleman to the extent that he was disinclined to 
talk about it. Porter managed to piece together the essence of what the witness had experienced, which he put into the newspaper story. Now, it being 1876, the witness was on horseback. He was on his way home on a rather dark and misty night when suddenly his horse became very nervous and seemingly terrified. So the rider had to struggle to keep the horse, which was wild with fright, from turning back the way they'd come. And as he struggled with his mount, he noticed a very bright light on the bank of a nearby creek. Illumination at first was intense and kept increasing in brightness. Wanting to get a closer look at the source of the light, the witness tried to coax his horse to move in that direction, but the terrified animal just refused to move. At that point, the brightness of the light began to diminish until it nearly went out, and at that point, the horse finally began moving forward. But when they got to where the figure had appeared alongside the creek, there was nothing there. The humanoid shape, uh, shape figure had moved up an embankment and was quite a distance away when the bright light came back. According to the witness, the light again appeared, borne by what appeared to be a human figure, dressed in white, approaching with amazing rapidity, while as it advanced, uh, evidently was gliding along the ground, the light, which it seemed to carry in one hand, blazed forth with fast-increasing brilliancy. Now, the witness described the figure as something shadowy and indistinct. He was clear it was human-like, but um, the creature's identity couldn't be ascertained. And the shape got to within a hundred years of the witness when the frightened horse suddenly sprang forward with a burst of speed that almost unset the rider. And setting a furious pace, the horse didn't stop till it arrived at its own stable door. Well, somewhat terrified and exhausted by the distress of the ordeal, the witness told nobody what had happened, not even his wife, and went right to bed. Next day, his haggard appearance was such that he was finally persuaded to tell the story to others, which included a reporter from the, the Reading Eagle newspaper of Reading, Pennsylvania. So now we have a question. Who or what was the shadowy figure that apparently had access to technology far beyond what was available in 1876? Other than dim, flickering lanterns, there was no source of light that could be held in one's hand at that time, and certainly nothing that could generate an intense beam of light that seemed to illuminate the whole area. And what was the significance of the gliding motion of the entity, coupled with the fact that it was able to move so incredibly fast? It does seem plausible the humanoid was using a type of personal transportation device similar to a small electric scooter or some other type of personal transporter. What did the stranger's white clothing somehow seem to hide the features and characteristics of the body? The facts related suggest it was a type of suit, maybe a space suit or some type of biohazard suit. Somebody familiar with cases where witnesses have encountered humanoid entities doing UFO sightings, the description given by the, this uh, contactee in 1876 fits perfectly. So you have to ask yourself, could the, the strange entity have been a space traveler whose ship landed nearby? Could he have been a time traveler holding in his hands the tools of the future while carrying out research missions on a bygone era? Whatever the answer might be, 
Clearly, this wasn't some type of disembodied spirit or ghost, but rather it was a humanoid being that was accidentally discovered while skulking around in the dark forest at night, apparently carrying out experiments or specimen collection or making other observations. Startled with his mission potentially compromised, he took steps to end the confrontation, possibly causing a fright to both the human and the horse. And it does seem he was successful. Well, now at this point, I have to make the observation that these are aliens from other planets. I've got stories going back a thousand years of their investigations. If they're going to invade, they should have invaded by now. If they're going to colonize the planet, they should have done something by now. So the question becomes, are these aliens from other planets? Are they uh, another race that coexists with us on this planet? There's a lot of evidence that that is, uh, may well be part of the issue. Are they time travelers? Are they from other dimensions? This what? You can't explain all the thousands of sightings of various uh, in various occurrences by aliens from other planets. Let's talk about what an astronomer thought in 1877. This was September 7th, 1877 in Bloomington, Indiana. Now, if you got a sighting by an astronomer, whether it's an amateur or professional, a sighting like this is considered to be the most valid of UFO reports. And the same can be said of astronomers in the 18th and 19th centuries, uh, such as John Graham, who was an amateur, and Daniel Kirkwood, who was a renowned astronomer in 1877. He called this sighting quite extraordinary. Reported in the September 29, 1877 issue of Scientific American that uh, Graham spotted five mysterious stationary meteors in the sky over Bloomington, Indiana. He saw these the first of the objects a little after 10 p.m., looking at about 40 degrees above his eastern horizon. Between the constellations Aquila and Vopictula, just above and to the left of the bright star Altar. Now, the, the first object shone brightly and seemed to increase in brightness as it traveled slightly to the right. And then it dimmed and went out, <clears throat> after which four more bright objects <coughs> appeared at various times in the same general area, mostly appearing one at a time, disappearing, being replaced by another. Graham stated the brightness of the objects was equivalent to a first-magnitude star, which means they were similar in brightness to the nearby star of Altair. Now, the observation was submitted to professional Professor Daniel Kirkwood of Indiana University at Bloomington for analysis. Kirkwood, according to the Indianapolis Journal, was an expert concerning astronomical uh, subjects. He later taught at Stanford and is credited with a number of important discoveries, including Kirkwood's gaps concerning the orbits of asteroids around the sun. Now, in 1881, he was at the center of an effort to have the state of Indiana fund construction of an astronomical observatory in Bloomington. And a local newspaper uh, made the comment the state has the astronomer for the place uh, in the person of Daniel Kirkwood of the University of Bloomington. 
manipulate learning and worth. The Proctor of America. His vast learning and talents and great work to the state of Indiana shouldn't be lost for one of an observatory. That was story, part of the story in the Hamilton County Democrat in Noblesville, Indiana. The observatory was actually built in 1900, five years after Professor's death, and was named the Kirkwood Observatory. His opinion about Graham's sighting of five mysterious objects was the objects were possibly meteoric material, which was moving toward the Earth from outer space, which caused it to appear to be virtually stationary in the sky. But he did leave the door open to alternative explanations, stating the phenomena of the seventh instance are quite extraordinary. UFO researchers have an entirely different theory for what Graham saw that night. They believe the witness saw five UFOs inbound to the Earth from some unknown point of uh, out in space. And clearly the objects were unusual and unexpected, and given their location in the night sky and their appearance and their motion. Sighting was extraordinary enough to draw the attention of the very conservative editors of the Scientific American, who elected to publish Professor Kirkman's letter about the phenomena. Actually, I think I miswrote there. It was Kirkwood. His theory that it was meteors that were moving toward the Earth may actually not be the correct explanation. As the original witness stated, the remarkable sight at first arrested his attention, and then when he discovered more objects in the same place, his curiosity was greatly excited, as he put it. Now, the U.S. Census records indicate that the original witness... Uh, John Graham was his name, was an attorney at law who lived on Railroad Street in Bloomington. He was 33 at the time of the sighting. And although his father, who was 77, was also called John, it seems more likely the son was the one who made the astronomical observation. His father was a carpenter, originally from Ireland. Obviously, the younger Graham had a higher level of education and most likely greater curiosity about the stars. In conclusion, this was a remarkable astronomical observation that leaves us wondering what type of spacecraft might have been approaching the Earth on that quiet November night, and what was their intent. Well, from there, let's go to Big D, Dallas, Texas, January 22nd, 1878. Well... You know, strange flying craft seen in the sky weren't called flying saucers until the late 40s. The name uh, originated with Kenneth Arnold. At least that was my view until I found this report. In 1878, a farmer in Dallas, Texas, saw something in the sky he described as a large saucer. This might be the first time in history that the word saucer was used for a UFO. The farmer's name was John Martin. He was hunting on his property six miles north of Dallas. It's Tuesday, January 22nd, 1878. As he moved slowly about stalking his prey, he noticed a dark object in the sky to the south. Now, he said when he first saw it, the UFO was about the size of an orange, but it grew in size rapidly as it approached his position. According to the local newspaper, the peculiar shape and velocity with which the object seemed to approach riveted his attention. He strained his eyes to discover its character. 
Since it was morning and the object looked dark, it seems it didn't have any lights. It appeared as a dark shape against the bright blue of the sky. He said the this saucer appeared to be going through space at a wonderful speed. The brightness of the sky temporarily blinded Martin, and he lost track of where the object was. He rested his eyes for a few minutes, and by the time he could see again, the UFO was right on top of him, and much larger than before. You can find an article about uh, his sighting in the Dallas, Texas Daily Herald for January 23, 1878. According to this particular story, when directly over him was about the size of a large saucer and evidently a great height. And even though it was huge in size, um, also very high up in the sky. It means it's Actual size was probably even larger than what it seemed to be. He described the shape of the object as sort of a, like a balloon. And hot air balloons did exist at this point in time, but they didn't move very fast and were rarely seen in the skies of North Texas. He kept watching that UFO until it moved completely out of view. He said it went as rapidly as it had come and was soon lost to sight in the sky. In addition to appearing in the Dallas uh, Daily Herald, the sighting was also mentioned in the Denison, Texas Daily News, January 25, 1878. This article, which was titled A Strange Phenomena, consisted entirely of a first-hand report from Farmer Martin. The newspaper reporter confirms that Martin was a trustworthy eyewitness, not the kind of person to make up a false story. According to the article, he was a gentleman of undoubted veracity, and this strange occurrence, if it was not a balloon, deserves the attention of sciences. During the 1970s, Dr. J. Allen Hynek, the famous astronomer and UFO investigator, studied the Martin sighting. He classified the incident as a daytime disk, which is a type of UFO seen in daytime that travels very fast and makes almost no sound. These daylight disks also sometimes make sudden sharp turns without slowing down at all. And they're usually described as shiny or metallic and they display no lights and sometimes witnesses may hear a very faint swishing sound. Daylight discs are mostly reported after the 40s which makes this 1878 sighting extremely rare. Certainly it's one of the most interesting cases of the 1800s. The um, from Dallas, Texas, we go to Osceola Township in Iowa. Interesting news story just popped up on my screen. The, uh, According to this story, U.S. government may freeze American bank withdrawals as currency panic and capital flight mounts. The story uh, revolves around a hedge fund manager and macroeconomic expert named Hugh Hendry. This issued a major warning on the U.S. banking system and American economy as a whole. Well, if we'd quit shoveling money out the door with the biggest shovel we can find... We might not have all the problems we're having. Unfortunately, the, this particular administration thinks the more you spend, the better. Uh, you can't spend your way out of a 
recession. All right. On that note, you know, when something is considered newsworthy, it pops up on my screen. So as things pop up, I'll bring them to your attention. But we're in Osceola Township in Iowa. The date's February 1878. You know, today, remote-controlled drone aircraft are commonplace. In fact, I think I've got two or three. Used in all industries, by the military, and even by private individuals for recreation. They're a wonder of technology. I got one that's about the size of my hand. That's the fastest little thing I've ever seen. These small vessels carry sophisticated cameras and other equipment can maneuver into very tight spaces, hover in place, or to facilitate photography or even remote observation. Modern drones can also carry a high-intensity light attachment that illuminates dark areas around the craft, and some of them even carry weapons. Had drone technology been available in the 19th century, can you imagine what an impact it would have had on human activity? The country that had such technology would have ruled the world. But ask yourself this. What if drones did somehow find their way back into the 19th century? There are a number of interesting UFO cases from the 1800s that describe small hovering objects that follow people around, moving up in the sky and back down at will. They cause terror and confusion among the populace, of course. And it does seem obvious to us with our 21st century knowledge that these small, highly maneuverable objects were very likely a form of advanced remote-controlled drones. One of the most interesting examples from the 1800s of sightings of this type occurred in Osceola Township in Iowa in 1878. Newspapers for the period uh, record that the local citizens were plagued by a strange hovering light that uh, would follow them around town. And since the object was brightly lit, it was called a haunted locomotive headlight. But it didn't appear to have any visible means of support. Kind of like several people I know. Full account of the case was first published in the Ackley, Iowa Enterprise, February 8, 1878. According to that story, a young man, well known in the community and regarded of undoubted veracity, relates that uh, he was going home across the fields from a neighbor's when his Attention was attracted by a light moving along the road at some distance from him. First, he thought it was a light proceeding uh, from a lantern carried by somebody traveling the highway, but as it got nearer, he noticed it was much larger than a lantern. When he reached the point of the road nearly opposite him, it stopped and came directly toward him at great velocity till it was one of a few feet of him, at which point it stopped. He said it was about the size of a half bush, one of intense brightness. Then it went up in the air, a distance of uh, several rods, as he said, and the rods is 16 feet, so let's say 50, 60 feet up in the air. And then it came back down to where the gentleman stood. Now, the maneuvers described by the witness sound exactly like those of a modern drone, which carried a spotlight. Interestingly, the witness at first thought somebody was walking along the road carrying a lantern. It's also interesting that the drone seemed unaware of the man until it came within a short distance of him. Then, as if it sensed his presence, it shot toward him at very rapid rate, stopped only a few feet from him. Now, 
after the object came to a stop, the witness said he was not somebody who was easily frightened, but he couldn't account for the strange sight, and he retraced his steps to the house he'd just left. He said the light followed him until he reached the house when it went off a short distance and disappeared. At this particular point, the object seemed to have zoomed out of sight, either straight up into the air or up above the roof of the house. The scared witness uh, entered his friend's house and asked two of them to accompany him so he, he could make his way back home again, and they agreed to do so. Three young men then stepped out of the house and looked around but couldn't locate that out, uh, item. Heading back along the path at the original witness's house, the group suddenly saw the object come back into view. All three saw it at the same time. The object didn't come so close as before, but it was suddenly disappearing. Soon came into sight again in an entirely different direction and at a considerable distance from where it was last seen. Later on in the article, the reporter revealed this phenomenon had been seen in Osceola Township before by other witnesses. Light was also seen by the people at a number of houses in the neighborhood. And none of those who were witness to this strange occurrence are able to give any explanation for the phenomena. But they're all honest in the recital of what they saw is conceded by all who knew the parties. The article made no explanation of what it might be. A strange event was mentioned by a number of other newspapers at a time. The Otumwa, Iowa Weekly Courier, the Des Moines, Iowa Register, and the Quad City Times of Davenport, Iowa. So you have to ask yourself, what was this mysterious hovering object that terrorized the citizens of Osceola Township in 1878? Well, until drone technology became common in the 21st century, UFO researchers had difficulty understanding what this object might have been. And now they understand it was most likely an unmanned remote-controlled drone. Controlled by who or for what purpose, nobody knows, but uh, folks kept trying to get to the bottom of it. Well, from Iowa, let's go to Indio, California. Now, this particular um, incident had a number of, uh, shall we say, unusual additions to an already unusual situation. You might ask yourself, as I relate this story, what does a ghost ship have to do with UFOs? Well, this particular ghost ship was seen flying across the sky instead of sailing out at sea. Supposedly, one of the people who saw the flying ship may have also been abducted by whatever entities manifested the apparition. Now, ghost ship sightings were, in fact, a common staple of sailor lore, but they usually took place out at sea, not in the sky, as happened in this particular case. This is also an especially intriguing story because it involves some of the well-known tried-and-true themes of all good Western folklore, including prospectors and lost treasures and ghostly apparition. This particular story appeared in the November 3rd, 1889 edition of the San Francisco Examiner. The article was entitled The Phantom Vessel, a regular flying Dutchman seen in the Colorado desert. Well, this story begins in, begin, begins in Yuma, Arizona in the summer of 1878. 
two German prospectors stumbled into town in a haggard, frenzied condition, excitedly proclaiming to anybody who'd listened that a strange flying vessel had appeared over the desert and kidnapped one of their comrades, taking him away into the clouds. According to the Examiner story, the summer of 1878, several years after the story of the discovery of the remains of a ship had been made public, two German prospectors reached Yuma from the Colorado desert. And they reported they had lost a companion in the desert. The prospectors seemed to have been skirting the southwest sides of the San Bernardino Range in search of minerals, and their companion was lost some six days before at a point about 100 miles south northwest of Yuma. The peculiar feature of their story was their associating it with and attributing the disappearance of their comrade to an apparition that they had seen the previous evening. They said about sundown, and while encamped on the desert, they saw at a short distance an immense ship under full sail and appeared to float above them on a cloud. She was a different form of construction from any vessel they'd ever seen and was complicated and fantastic in her rigging. Now, in this part of the story, the witnesses describe what sounds like an ocean-going vessel. But they're careful to point out that the ship was of a totally different form of construction and its rigging was complicated and fantastic. Well, clearly of limited education and vocabulary, they were trying to understand and explain what they saw hovering in the sky over them. You know, it clearly was not a typical sailing ship. Probably more like the mysterious airships that was sighted all over America in the late 1890s. According to the article, their description of the vessel was by no means lucid, and they were very positive their companion had been shanghaied and taken all board that ghost ship. But this is what I view as the fascinating part of the story. The men believe their companion had been abducted by whatever entities were aboard that ship. And although they didn't give any detailed explanation of why they blamed the disappearance of their companion on the airship, it was clear they felt the man had been taken, or they called it shanghai by the occupants of the, this mysterious ship. Now, the story that told by the Germans was received with a good deal of contempt by the people of Yuma, after telling the prospectors they were double-objective fools, sent two men and three Indian trailers to the on the train to Indio to search the desert east of the station for the missing man. Second day of the search, his naked corpse was found about 40 miles from the railroad with the scorching rays of the sun um, burning it. He died in a desert of thirst, but no sign of the phantom ship could be seen. Well, the fact that a missing German was found dead and without a stitch of clothing on him has led some researchers to believe he was abducted and experimented on and then dumped unceremoniously back into the hot desert without food, clothing, or water, which was, in fact, a death sentence. Now, in UFO literature, if you read a great deal of it, as I have over the years, there have been other cases when abductee has returned to Earth without his clothing. Story of the Phantom Airship and the abducted German prospector became quite the sensation in North American newspapers, you might have uh, guessed. Appearing in numerous papers in California, Nebraska, Kansas, Montana, North Dakota, and a number of other states. But the earliest appearance of that article seems to be 
the San Francisco Examiner story of November 3rd, 1889. So was this a case, an early example of alien abduction? It certainly bears all the hallmarks. Okay, let's go to Rawlings, Wyoming, July 28, 1878. This was an observation by astronomers in Wyoming of a mysterious shining sphere near the sun. It's important, uh, it's clear in relation to a number of recent sightings of strange objects near the sun. Among these newer cases is a massive cylindrical object called uh, Uma Uma that passed through our solar system in 2017, zipping past the sun at 196,000 miles an hour before breaking away from the sun's gravitational pull and moving out into space. Some astronomers, among them Harvard's uh, Avi Loeb, uh, proposed that this was uh, an alien spacecraft. Other recent sightings of objects in the vicinity of the sun have similarly caused great agitation. April 24, 2012, NASA's Solar and Heliospheric Observatory uh, spotted an anomalous object seemingly orbiting the sun at fairly close range. NASA blamed it on cosmic rays striking the camera, causing momentary photo photographic uh, artifacts. But some researchers aren't buying that explanation, believing the object was a UFO, either observing the sun or drawing energy from it. July 24, 2019, the Soho cameras snapped an image that seemed unexplainable. This uh, bizarre object near the sun was about 10 times the size of Earth. UFO researcher Scott Waring captured the image with a NASA website before it became mysteriously unavailable. History of strange objects near the sun goes uh, all the way back to the 1878. A group of astronomers in Wyoming discovered a silvery spear near the sun. During observations of a solar eclipse, July 28, 1878, several astronomers spotted a mysterious spear between the planet Mercury and the sun. First, they thought it might be a star, and then later on it was a planet, but now their explanation seemed to really fit. They had previously theorized that a planet that they called Vulcan should exist within Mercury's orbit. So this strange object seen in 1878 was believed to possibly be the mysterious Vulcan in the scientific magazine uh, Nature, August 29th, 1878. British astronomer J. Norman Lockyer said there's a little doubt, I think, that uh, an intermercurial planet has been found by Professor James Craig Watson. That if it one of... Uh, Levier's orbits and should not turn out to be Vulcan. No doubt astronomers will be able to keep a firm grasp on it. Sooner or later, its elements will be determined. Now, as it turned out, what these astronomers actually found was a mystery, and it's a mystery to this day. If not a star or a planet, then an unidentified object orbiting the sun seems to be a very real possibility. Well, on that note, we come to the end of today's show. We'll be back tomorrow, and we'll talk more about the planet that would be Vulcan and other strange observances in the 1800s. Until then, this is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show, saying have a truly great evening.